You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported. Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting for WFHB, this is Cade Young. And I'm Sydney Foreman. This is your WFHB local news for Wednesday, April 15, 2020. Later in the program, I talk to Marsha Lovejoy, communications manager at Cook Medical, about what the company is doing in light of the coronavirus pandemic. Also coming up in the next half hour, our weekly consumer watchdog program, Better Beware. But first, your local headlines. Forty-nine new deaths from COVID-19 were confirmed by the Indiana State Department of Health. The recent death toll includes deaths between March 28th and April 14th. 440 new positive cases were confirmed out of almost 2,500 new tests. In total, there are nearly 9,000 positive cases of coronavirus in Indiana. 436 total deaths are reported out of over 48,000 people tested. Monroe County has 95 positive cases, two deaths, out of 689 total tests. Total capacity of ICU beds in the state stands at about 3,000 beds. 25% of ICU beds are in use. At the moment, 45.6% of ICU beds are available. 29.4% of ICU beds in use are non-COVID-19 related. As for ventilators, the state has a capacity of 2,900. 14.6% of ventilators are in use by COVID-19 patients. 74% of ventilators are available. Over 10% of the state's ventilators are in use by non-COVID-19 patients in intensive care units. During a city COVID-19 press conference on April 10th, County Commissioner Julie Thomas said child care is needed for essential workers. She said information for caretakers can be found at co.monroe.in.us. There are about 230 children of essential workers, um, and we need healthy child care workers who could be educators, teachers, college students, anyone with child care experience, full or part time. um, And so all that information is on our website. President of Indiana University Health Brian Shockney said IU Health is the first health entity to release health data. He said the hospital will release a data update every Monday to all media and partners. And these numbers are going to be the total numbers of screenings, of virtual screening clinic, uh, tests conducted at the IU Health Health Pathology Lab, number of confirmed and suspected cases in our IU Health hospitals, uh, percent of ICU beds and ventilators used in our system. Um, This will be a system number, not a regional number, because we we move those around throughout our system, so those numbers at a region or location change daily. A number of IU Health team members uh, who have tested positive, as well as a number who have uh, returned to work, uh, which is always good. Shockney said 376 IU hospital employees have been quarantined. He said of the 376, 232 have returned to work as of April 10th. Emergency Management Director Allison Moore said the state has begun to record all negative COVID-19 test results. During the conference, Bloomington Mayor John Hamilton said local empty facilities are being looked at to house the homeless population. 
we are working in with particularly philanthropies and providers to identify how to create more space in the sleeping environments. Uh, and that's some of the work that's been going on uh, with a number of partners, uh, some on the phone and others not on the phone, to um, create more space at Wheeler Mission, uh, at Friends Place, uh, at um, uh, New Hope, uh, the overnight shelters. Uh, they've done things at, at Wheeler Mission, for example, to spread out the sleeping arrangements and similarly working with New Hope and um, uh, uh, Friends Place to do the sleeping arrangements, um, including the new isolation center and others. Uh, and we continue to work on that. That's one of the key focuses of the social service working group is looking at that housing of course, physical distancing is really important during the day, too, uh, and that, as some people have seen, we, we do have um, some challenges in some of the public parks and other places where we have individuals who are pretty clearly not physical distancing, and we're working very closely with, for example, Shalom, which is a daytime uh, a service provider and, and helps provide meals and many other services to people in deep poverty or homelessness working with them to try to work with folks to help uh, improve the physical distancing during the day too. Um, and again, uh, all these co collaborations are happening now. Mayor Hamilton said a local hotel could possibly provide isolation space for those experiencing symptoms. Up next, WFHB news correspondent Alex Dieterer reports on the outcome of the Schooner Creek Farms February lawsuit. Alex Dieterer has more on the story. Mayor John Hamilton denies Brown County's Schooner Creek Farms allegation that its First Amendment rights of free speech and alleged discrimination were violated at the Bloomington Farmers Market. The original 16-page lawsuit was filed in February against Mayor Hamilton, Bloomington Parks and Recreation Administrator Paula McDevitt, and the Farmers Market Program Coordinator Marcia Veldman by Schooner Creek vendors and owners Sarah Dye and Doug Mackey. Dye and Mackey claim the city did not do enough to protect them during last summer's protests against the couple's alleged alt-right beliefs and seeks a judgment declaring the city's conduct unconstitutional, seeking compensation for lost income, court costs, and attorney fees. The Schooner Creek suit claimed that the city sided with and encouraged protesters while prohibiting Schooner Creek from making political statements. The farmer's market was shut down for two weeks due to safety concerns following the protesters' demonstrations after Dye's ties to a white supremacist group surfaced in the community. According to Indiana Public Media, Mayor Hamilton said the city went out of its way to make sure Schooner Creek, those protesting them, and the public were safe. Quote, We've been sued by a couple different people for the farmer's market, and the responses have been the city has been responsible in following the law in all regards. End quote. In response to the suit, the city of Bloomington is countersuing Schooner Creek Farms, alleging they broke their 2019 farmer's market contract, calling upon a clause in the vendor contract called a, quote, covenant not to sue, end quote. The city's 32-page response, filed by attorney Pamela Schneeman of the Indianapolis law firm Stevenson, Morrow, and Semler, states, quote, by filing the federal lawsuit, Dye and Mackey breached paragraph 8 of the 2019 contract in consideration for the privilege of participating in the 2019 Bloomington Community Farmers Market, Dye and Mackey, as vendors, agreed to the provisions of the 2019 contract, end quote. Paragraph 8 of the 2019 Farmers Market contract states, 
Quote, the vendor will not institute any action or suit at law or in equity against the city or the city's agents or employees as a result of operations under this agreement. The vendor will not aid in the institution or prosecutions of any claim for damages, costs, loss of services, expenses, or compensation for or on account of any damages, loss, or injury to person or property as a result of operation under this agreement, end quote. According to court documents, the city says it suffered damages due to lost time and wages defending itself from the Schooner Creek's lawsuit, citing another clause in the vendor contract that may require the owners of Schooner Creek Farms to reimburse the city for legal fees incurred in the case. The city renewed Schooner Creek's contract for the 2020 season. For WFHB, I'm Alex Dieterer. The Bloomington Redevelopment Commission discussed an inspection agreement for Switchyard Park during their April 9th meeting. Operations Director Dave Williams said project completion is behind schedule. The playground is still closed. The pathways are still closed. Uh, we still have a fairly sizable punch list for um, the facility buildings, the pavilion, the splash pad building, and the Bloomington Police Department substation building. However, it is being occupied by BPD officers, and they are in business. Williams said the Weddell Brothers construction contract called for substantial completion in November of 2019. He said only seasonal planting should have been needed for spring 2020. They are under um, the directive by the city of Bloomington to complete all work uh, by May 24th of this year, um, without exception, uh, without further delay. And again, we have brought that firmly to the attention of Welder Brothers Construction. They are continuing to work on the site. Um, we're optimistic that they will complete the project on schedule. This addendum number four reflects increased costs um, that Rundell Ernstberger um, will have for construction management and administration. Uh, again, the, their fees were based on initially very little um, on-the-ground inspection work to be conducted in the spring of this year, and again, only planting, so it would not have been 40 hours a week by one or more people monitoring every single item of construction. The park presumably would have been open for public use and the landscaping activities would be going on around them. Williams said Weddell Brothers Construction has paid liquidation damages since November. Councilmember Donald Griffin asked Williams if the liquidations would cover the extended inspection costs. Yes, uh, it more that we have indicated through the communication Mayor Hamilton sent to the president of Weddell Brothers Construction that liquidated damages at $2,000 today uh, have totaled, uh, Larry, I think $270,000. Williams said damages are collecting $2,000 per day, and the inspection costs are about $232,000. Council members unanimously approved the inspection agreement. Up next, WFHB correspondent Jasmine White reports from home on the latest state news amidst the coronavirus pandemic. We turn to Jasmine White for more on the story. The CDC has now launched a COVID-19 self-checker. The self-checker is used to help people to determine whether to seek professional medical attention and what kind to seek. If in need, please visit www.cdc.gov coronavirus. For those who may not be able to afford health care 
or are not able to get treatment in Salzburg, Indiana, one out of four locations, free testing is offered as a form of a drive-through. The Department of Health set up four testing sites Monday morning. The sites are open to the public. However, the Department of Health wants to reserve kits for essential workers. Officials also say those who want to be tested must bring state IDs and documentation of place of employment that can include your work badge. Upon arrival, the patient will stay inside the vehicle until the registration form is filled out. They'll then move forward to the testing table and can get their results within about three days. Testing will continue Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. Other locations include Fort Wayne, Indianapolis, and Evansville. Visit the WFHB.org sites to see information about testing sites. As always, remember to stay safe and continue to protect yourself. For WFHB, I'm Jasmine White. Senior zoning planner Eric Grulich proposed a site plan for a two-story addition to the Kiln Building with five conditions to the Bloomington Plan Commission. He spoke about the site plans during their April 13th meeting. The proposed site plan uh, has some uh, a large plaza area that's being created on the west side adjacent to Madison Street. Uh, there's a small sidewalk connection that extends out to 11th Street. There's a lot of grade change that happens along the 11th Street frontage for this property. Uh, there's about seven, eight feet of grade change at the north side, and then it slopes down to about level on the northwest corner. So the petitioners have moved their sidewalk connection um, to work around a, a large, tall retaining wall that runs alongside 11th Street. Um, there's an alley that runs along the east side of this property uh, that's been paved. The petitioners would use that alley for a parking lot. Uh, there'd be five parking spaces with one handicap accessible space adjacent to that. Or I'm sorry, six parking spaces um, with one handicapped space. Um, so the building would be used for commercial building uh, tenants. Uh, the ground floor would be divided up into five tenant spaces. Grulich said the petitioners are using metal for additions and leaving the original brick. He said the proposed building is too tall according to the current Unified Development Ordinance. So the zoning code measures height from the lowest portion of the building to the tallest portion of the building. Mm -hmm. Um, there is an elevator tower that will be on this building uh, that extends up to 42 feet tall. Within the Showers Technology Park, 35 feet is your maximum height uh, that is allowed under the current code. Um, the new code does have for a, a higher height standard, but this is being reviewed obviously under our current code, um, which has a 35 foot height limit. So the, the roof tower is the primary element um, that extends that. Uh, the main third story reaches 38 feet. Um, so it's about three feet over the height limit, uh, but it's the, the elevator tower as well that, that extends even further. Grulich said the building also does not meet third-story setback requirements. He said the building code requires a 15-foot setback. Um, so the petitioners have stepped back the third story. Um, they stepped it back 10 feet. Uh, the UDO requires a 15-foot setback. Um, however, uh, you know, the building is only three feet over the height limit that would kick in. Uh, that that step back. Um, so the step back or this the the setback of 10 feet for that third floor um, Although it's not 15 does help accomplish what we were requiring to do or looking to do which would be to step back the modulation um, So the low height of the building uh, the additional step back in essence creates a two-story building from Madison 
um, which, which meets the requirements or the intent of what the zoning code was trying to accomplish. Commission member Israel Herrera asked Grulich about the possibility of mandating implementation of solar panels to accommodate the Green New Deal. Grulich said it could be encouraged but not required. Petitioner Lucas Brown said that other sustainability strategies are intended to be implemented. Uh, you know, we're going to be uh, carefully evaluating uh, shading of the windows. We're adding a trellis at the first floor. Uh, right now, it's, uh, you know, you just see it as this um, uh, freestanding trellis. The idea is to grow uh, uh, a climbing uh, vine over this trellis that is going to really help to shade uh, the first floor. Uh, it is a western-facing building. It's been a real challenge uh, because it is oriented to the west. Um, it's a, it's, it's a north-south orientation, and that's the front of the building, and we're required to have glazing on the front of the building through the zoning ordinance, and that's the side of the building that's really going to be getting a lot of sun. So we're going to have to be careful with uh, our low E coatings and uh, this, this trellis at the first level is there, and the intention is to shade the building. Uh, we, we're, we're certainly going to be looking at tight thermal envelopes, a uh, good degree of insulation, efficient HVAC systems. Uh, we're, we're looking to incorporate uh, local uh, materials, uh, low embodied energy materials such as wood. Um, the metal siding is a low embodied en energy material um, in comparison to a lot of other materials. We're uh, preserving the existing building, uh, which is a huge green building strategy. Uh, we're maintaining a lot of impervious cover, uh, and we're uh, our, um, pervious cover, and we're using pervious pavings. Brown said a shower would be implemented to encourage biking to work. He said all significant original masonry will be maintained. Gurulich said the Bloomington Historic Prevention Commission approved the construction design. Commission members unanimously approved the site plan. Coming up next, WFHB junior correspondent Katrine Bruner reports on how the Travel Lodge Motel is being converted into a homeless shelter. For more, we turn to Katrine Bruner. Advocates for Monroe County's homeless community recently obtained a 750000 grant from the state of Indiana to rent out Bloomington's Travel Lodge Motel and turn it into a homeless shelter. The motel resides on the east side of Bloomington between Red Lobster and former Sahara Mart. Beginning Tuesday night, April 14th, the 60 rooms at the Travel Lodge on 2615 East 3rd Street will be open to any citizens who are experiencing symptoms of COVID-19 or have already tested positive for the virus and do not have a concrete place to stay. This is in an effort to keep the citizens of Bloomington isolated while providing safety for citizens most susceptible to the virus, such as older people and people with pre-existing medical conditions like asthma, diabetes, and heart disease. For WFHB, I'm Katrine Bruner. Up next, WFHB News Director Cade Young talks to Cook Medical about its responses to the COVID-19 pandemic. Medical workers are on the front lines in the fight against coronavirus. One Bloomington-based company on the front lines includes Cook Medical. As the coronavirus death toll in the United States rises to over 30,000 people, Cook Medical says it is taking action during this health crisis by ensuring continued access of important medical devices. Cook Medical is one of four main divisions of Cook Incorporated, one of the largest private companies in its field Cook is a medical device manufacturer, 
headquartered in Bloomington. Marsha Lovejoy, Global Manager of Communications at Cook Medical, said the company's primary area of concern includes coronavirus patients who are admitted into intensive care units. Lovejoy said Cook Medical does not provide personal protective equipment. So we don't manufacture personal protective equipment, and we're focused on manufacturing the products that patients and physicians need within the ICUs right now. When it comes to patients in intensive care units, Lovejoy touched on medical devices for patients showing the most symptoms, in particular, those with breathing problems. Uh, yeah, we have devices that help patients that have difficulty breathing, um, as well as central venous catheters that many patients need while they are in the ICU. Lovejoy said Cook Medical does not manufacture testing kits for COVID-19. However, she said Cook Medical emphasizes ICU products it can contribute. At this moment in time, employers like Cook Medical need to balance serving doctors and nurses at the same time protecting its employees. Lovejoy explained how Cook Medical works to navigate these uncharted waters. We're focused on helping employees stay safe and healthy in the workplace uh, by doing several things. Uh, reduce the number of people within our manufacturing facilities to only the people that actually need to be there to make those important medical devices. Um, we have heightened our cleaning in all of our facilities. Uh, we have engineering teams uh, creating the six-foot physical distance in all areas of the building where um, ever possible we're doing remote work. We've also done shift changes to reduce the number of people on the site at any given time. Um, and we've also increased pay for those people that are on site um, that need to come into the office to do their job. We've got a thank you bonus available for them, as well as if you have changed shifts, um, we've got pay differentials for that as well. She spoke further on pay increases for Cook Medical's employees during the COVID-19 pandemic. As a way to say thank you to all of those employees um, that are making those life-saving medical devices, we do have a 10% um, pay increase um, for the month of April. Additionally, if somebody does move shifts, we have an additional increase available to them. Lovejoy discussed other initiatives the company wants to address in the wake of the coronavirus outbreak. We are increasing manufacturing capacity for certain critical care products that physicians and nurses need within the ICUs. Um, we have our customer support team um, working to make sure they can always answer the calls um, from physicians. Um, and we have reps um, working hard to make sure they can help answer questions from um, their physicians. Lovejoy said the COVID-19 health crisis proves as an unprecedented time for all aspects of life. She said her primary focus is physicians, nurses, and patients in need of medical devices. Again, Lovejoy emphasized protecting employees as a major concern, reducing workers in the building, changing shifts, focusing on physical distancing, and increasing pay. All the while, essential employees continue to navigate the ripple effects of this virus. For WFHB, I'm Cade Young. Now it's time for Better Beware, our weekly consumer watchdog program hosted by Richard Fish. 
Welcome to Better Beware. Here's your consumer watchdog from WFHB Community Radio with the latest information and helpful hints designed to keep your head out of the clouds, your feet on the ground, and your money in your pocket. That is the sound of a bull. The sound comes out the front end, but what we're going to talk about today comes out the other end. I got an email saying people are needed to maintain fan Facebook pages, work from home, and earn a hundred bucks an hour. (coughs) Then there's a product being heavily advertised, like right up front on the Yahoo website, called OkoWatt. I'll spell it, O-K-O-W-A-T-T, so you can remember to forget it. It's a little plastic doodad that claims to reduce your electric bill just by plugging it into an outlet in your house. The ad headline proclaims, Genius new device slashes your electric bill in half. Yeah, right. It's a little plastic box with a couple of LEDs on the outside and inside. Ask any electrician, or do a quick search online, and you'll discover it won't even save the $40 the Goniffs are charging for it. If you know anybody who's bought an Watt, you are entitled to point at them and laugh your head off. And then there's this ridiculous story going around that the coronavirus pandemic was brought on by the advent of 5G wireless technology. It's not true. It can't possibly be true. 5G wireless communications use the same kind of radio waves that have been around for years in cell phones, microwave ovens, and Wi-Fi signals. If you want the full scientific data, look on the Internet for the International Commission on Non-Ionizing Radiation Protection. The ICNIRP just finished a seven-year study, which was done to check out the equally silly rumor that cell phones cause cancer, and all their findings are public now. People who think coronavirus came from 5G signals are idiots. Some have even tried to destroy cell phone towers, and people who spread this are dangerous idiots. This is a very old story. In ancient Greece, the invention of writing was said to be dangerous because it would destroy your memory. In the 1700s, newspapers were said to be harmful, probably because people stopped getting their news from preachers and church. Railroads, telegraph wires, airplanes, and radios were said to make cows give sour milk. Douglas Adams wrote that any technology in existence when you're born is considered normal. Any technology developed before you turn 35 is considered exciting, and any technology that comes along when you're older than that is suspicious. So let's throw the out the window and pay attention to the words printed in large, friendly letters on the cover of his Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Don't panic. I'm Richard Fish for WFHB News and Public Affairs. Better Beware comes to you from WFHB Bloomington, Indiana. Find all our episodes at WFHB.org. If you can help put the kibosh on a con, email beware at WFHB.org. Remember, swindlers never give a sucker an even break.
You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Alex Dieterer, Katrine Bruner, Jasmine White, and Sydney Foreman in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Kate Young. Better Beware is produced by Richard Fish. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Our executive producer is Kate Young. For WFHB, I'm Sydney Foreman. And I'm Kate Young. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent local news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast as well as other WFHB news programming online at WFHB.org. You can be a part of our award-winning news team. For more information about joining our volunteer team of citizen journalists, email news at WFHB.org. Stay tuned for Hearabouts, Asian American Midwest Radio on WFHB. Listening to the WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB Local News Volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB Local News Archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB Local News. We are local, longer, 